Marketing is about values. Looking for stories. The big story. The new CEO. Go, 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 go. Great brands and great businesses have to be great storytellers too. Concept marketing can be your superhero. Oh, oh, yeah. Welcome to the Brand Storytelling Podcast, where we speak with experts and influencers in marketing, content, and brand publishing. We bring you the latest trends, tips, and insights so that you can help your brand tell its story and connect with its audience. Hello, brand storytellers. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank everyone for your feedback on the new format. It's so great to hear. So many of you loved hearing more about the backstory behind the man dubbed the godfather of content marketing, Joe Polizzi, as well as his insights for the year ahead. We want to continue bringing you more of what you've been asking for, so please do keep the feedback coming. Now, today, I'm on the line with our first UK guest for the year, Tim Williams. He's the CEO of influencer marketing platform Onalytica, which allows brands to identify the most relevant influencers and engage them on social media to amplify their messaging or campaigns. We'll also be talking about influencer marketing, what it is, how can it benefit brands and how it's related to content marketing. And just on that, there's no doubt that it's helping bring in revenue for brands with influencer marketing generating two times more sales than paid advertising. Now, why? Well, we'll get into that during the show. But before that, I want to dive into the latest trends of influencer marketing and get to know the man behind Onalytica. I am, of course, talking about Tim. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Raquel. It's good to be with you. Well, it's great to have you on board for episode two of 2016. Now, you grew up in the English countryside, far away from the bright lights of London and uh, the home of big brands. What was that like? It was very different to branding and influencer marketing as we know it now. Growing up in the countryside, I wasn't really influenced by any brands at all until I was a teenager. Branding was not important to my family. Uh, We came from a very... um, unassuming family that that didn't wear any branded clothes at all, didn't really talk about brands. So it was very late on in my life uh, relative to uh, the, the modern era now until I actually understood what marketing and branding was mm-hmm. all about. We love the word storytelling. Um, tell us about your, I guess, initial love of storytelling. Where did it come into your life? What was that content that really inspired you from your life in the English countryside to the bright lights of London? So when... I think the first time that I was um, aware of branding was, uh, because I'm English, it wouldn't surprise you to say something like James Bond, uh-huh. um, the scenes in uh-huh. sort of Dr. No, the, sort of, the volcano scene, the secret bunker was, was quite exciting, was the first time that I was actually opened up to a brand, which is the image of James Bond. And it's such an everlasting brand. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how, how global it is. And you go to certain countries and you talk about it, expecting that they don't know about it, but everyone... Everyone does and everyone can relate to it, which is which is fantastic. And you mentioned the biggest brand to come out of uh, Britain, perhaps of all time, of course, the Beatles. Um, I just had a, a beautiful boy and we named our son Lennon. No surprises that the <laughs> Beatles branding lives on so many decades on. Tell us about your love as a Brit boy growing up of the Beatles. I was just excited to to see Brit uh, exports do really, really well in, in other countries. I love to see... British brands succeed globally, and so I was I was really inspired by them. That my parents played a lot of their music. Um, I was also inspired by the Carpenters. Uh, there was a big story behind them, and obviously a really sad ending. Um, you know when. Sort of 
Karen sadly died of anorexia quite early on in her life. But mm. I think the music was very emotional. Uh, there was a very much uh, a s- association with a brand there as well. So it was really uh, influenced by music and film because, of course, the internet wasn't around uh, mm. when I was young. Yeah, you touch on a really important point there that in such a relatively recent time, we're now so bombarded by so many different uh, media and particularly through uh, the internet and social influences. What was your first, I guess, recollection of having an affinity with a brand and, and why did you have that affinity? I think the first time that I was opened up to mass brands was through a computer. So when I was young, maybe around 10 to 15, I was using an Intel's 486 computer and I I really just wanted to play whatever the latest games were and obviously there was a lot of branding on on those games and that was the first time I was really exposed to it. Outside of computer games then I was really into sport so naturally brands like Nike and Adidas, um, Nike's Just Do It campaign was was probably the first real brand message that resonated with me because I was into sports it was very aspirational and associated with high sports performance and I think it was that reason that um, that it really resonated with me and my peers who were who were very sporty and you know wanted to be the best at sports so that had a good association for me and I didn't know it at the time but it probably had a good brand influence and Coca-Cola is another one that I know you've talked about in the past and we will get into a case study about your work with Coca-Cola a little later in the show but those um, 486 computers didn't they uh, provide hours of entertainment did you have a favorite game at the time when you were uh, banging away on the 486 i was playing whatever games were fed to me so i wasn't a very cool kid so probably (laughs) i was playing um some sports games or something like doom uh which was kind of like a beat-em-up uh (laughs) back in the day um so I i was just playing games that were bought for me at christmas i wasn't really in the know in terms of in terms of what the best games were but it was it was fun using computers you know having to write DOS prompts and stuff like that way ahead of your time when you weren't really an IT geek. So it was fun. Yeah, it brings back good memories. I recently bought Fallout 4 for my PS4 and I think I've played it for a total of about half an hour, which is about how long it took to actually install the thing. And you think about games like Doom and they're a little simpler, those first person shoot 'em ups but you could play them for hours. I love Doom. Let's talk about a piece of content from last year that really stood out for you. And this is one that I love as well. It's a Microsoft video about a British adventure runner who stays connected with his friends and fans and those who are supporting him throughout a 600 day run from Canada to Argentina. It's a great video. We've got it on the show notes now at newsmoto.com. What was it in particular that took you um, about this particular piece of content? I just love inspirational content, which isn't necessarily branded in your face. It's a it's a pretty cool journey to do. It's very, very different to other content out there. So I think people accept when there's brand or branded content within it. It's acceptable because the story is so cool. So I love traveling. I love adventuring. And so that's why it really appealed to me. Yeah, it's a fantastic piece. Um, by the, <laughs> the looks of the guy, he spends a lot of time running on uh, open roads. He looks a little bit like um, 
Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. Um, he's got the long beard and he's pushing a trolley along and he literally uses a, a handful of Microsoft gadgets to keep um, him in touch with the, the rest of the world and probably more importantly, the rest of the world with him. And it's just a beautifully shot video. Um, and it's one of those pieces of content that, as you said, has a purpose as well. And I think purpose and, and authenticity are so important with brand storytelling, don't you think? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it has to be authentic. It has to be. Uh, it has to have mass appeal. And I think quite a lot of brands get it wrong when it's not emotional or inspirational. Um, and it has to be cool as well. So if it ticks one of those boxes, then I think people are really excited to to watch it and listen to it. And then the association with the brand can obviously have that influence you know, thereafter. But it shouldn't be in your face at the beginning because otherwise then people get turned off too much. Such a big part of influencer marketing, I imagine, is based on relationships. Um, is that what drives you in this part of marketing, this world that you play in? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating space. I think um, I get bored by status quo. I think that um, marketing and communications and PR are great disciplines, but I think they they need to evolve so fast in this day and age. And I think it's marketing gold to be able to find 20 or 30 people sometimes that can really power your message more effectively than than spend a lot of money on broadcast marketing so i think it's a really cool concept and i think that when people do it right then they really drive efficacy and wonderful results in terms of marketing so i think it's i think it's the future i think it's where everyone's going you know media relations or marketing are evolving into influencer relations and i and i think that it's an exciting space to be in tell you what else is exciting uh, tim and that is uh, the world of rugby and i know that as a uh, a younger lad you played a fair bit of it was that a big inspiration in in your life growing up and i guess did you take inspiration or draw inspiration from some of those that you played against Sure. I mean, I, I used to play schoolboy rugby against Johnny Wilkinson well, only once, but, but that's my claim to fame. We have the same birthday as well, so it's probably not a great claim to fame. But um, And I probably shouldn't be mentioning it, uh, speaking to an Australian, because of the 2003 Rugby World Cup final. But um, anyway, I'll chance my luck by mentioning it. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we've just got to keep moving on, and I guess we could talk about cricket, but um, and when we're not really in a position to when we talk about the Ashes there either. So, <laughs> moving right along, Tim, let's get into some of the uh, guts of what I know our listeners are really interested in hearing about. So, influencer marketing is clearly really big right now in many different industries, but I think some people out there are still a bit confused about what exactly it is. Can you give us the influencer marketing elevator pitch? Sure. So we provide software within the confluence of content marketing and influencer marketing. I think that these phrases have have been coined and sometimes they're quite generic and they mean different things to different people. Our definition of influencer marketing is is the practice of marketing to people that have have an influence over over buying decisions or potential behavioral changes in outcomes. So it means different things to different people, but essentially a bunch of people that can affect change on your behalf and really influence your target audience, whoever that is. Got it. Well, 
I guess just to back up what you're saying, I've uh, got some stats here that I think really go to the point. 81% of consumers trust the information they read on blogs and 91% of people trust recommendations from other people over the brands themselves. 61% of consumers have made a purchase based on a blog post they've read recently. So it comes down to understanding people, right? Understanding the consumer. Exactly. And I think it's all about trust and it's about scaling influence within a marketplace. If you're authentic, Mm. if you've got great content, if you've got a great story to tell, then it takes massive amounts of money and resources to be able to tell that one-to-one or one-to-many. But if you engage well with influencers and they believe in what you're doing, then suddenly you've got a massive third-party sales force to propagate that message to your audience. Mm. People trust other people that they know or respect or have some kind of bond with. They're probably more likely to take their recommendations, consume their content, follow their trends, and ultimately buy what they buy. So I guess decades of misleading advertising and marketing has made people a little more skeptical about brands. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's the plethora of of online commentators now. There are so many people producing content. Every brand is a commentator. Every consumer is a commentator as well on social media. So with this multitude of conversations then it's clearly important to cut through and i think a lot of people are still not that focused in how they're they're targeting with uh, their marketing efforts so i think to be able to do some due diligence on your marketplace identify the social influences that really have an influence over your audience and then be able to utilize them i think is critical to to most brands and a big part of the way you guys at Onalytica identify those influences is actually through analyzing content right tell us how that works yeah so we have a number of ways of identifying influences one of which is analyzing the keywords in a brand's piece of content and matching that to social influencers signatures if you like we create a signature for each particular social influencer which is basically a summary of of what they've been saying over the last 12 months so by matching that summary against a piece of content you can surface the most relevant influencers to to potentially share your content with right so you would tag them in the content as a brand in a simple way how would you describe the way that you would engage them in terms of engaging the influencers then i think it does depend upon the influencer groups that come back Uh, so some of our clients break down the influences into journalists analysts uh, sometimes some mums obviously they're very influential um, in uh, consumer situations and consumer household spending they could be academics or healthcare professionals so brands choose their own messages to the different influencer groups and and then that preempts how they how they engage with them so sometimes it's technical content sometimes it's more sort of cool content that they want the audience to share so it really does depend upon the use case sure what about the seeding function of Onalytica? is that basically just another means for brands to distribute their content. How does that work between the brand, the platform, um, the influencers, and ultimately the audience? In our in our enterprise software, what we do is we we run programs for sometimes up to 2,000 influencers. And the whole point of what we're trying to enable brands to do is to, within 15 to 20 minutes per day, identify the key content sharing opportunities by looking at what influencers are posting and being able to drive contextual communications. So, for example, if you're a brand like Microsoft, for example, and someone's talking about potentially um, 
potentially so laptops or mobile phones or or devices or anything like that then you can jump into that conversation at the relevant time got it so you're actually jumping into to trends um and conversations that are relevant to what you're doing you're not actually necessarily paying for the engagement of those influencers and that takes me to my next point what do you make of the i guess the trend to start paying influencers on social platforms like instagram and and twitter do you think that that really does sully the 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 industry of influencer marketing i think that's a very good question we believe in organic social outreach and that's at the heart of what we do but we do think there's a place for paid when looking at the most successful practitioners in our industry i think they use a combination of both when using the twitter for business application then you can identify the top 500 social influencers and you can promote tweets within the top 500 names for example and i think that does have its place when you don't have too many resources to outreach but i think it's also about creating those authentic relationships and getting the relationship to go from online to offline as soon as possible so social media is very effective at identifying the influencers and knowing when to contact them but inviting them to events and really building those offline relationships, I think works really well for, for most brands. Right, right. So it's it's an organic and a, and a genuine relationship as opposed to perhaps we need tw- 20 tweets put out by influencers on the latest um, campaign and we'll pay you a thousand bucks to distribute that messaging, which I think it, it can be a challenge if, um, you know, social media is set up as a transparent platform for communication. And I don't think too many fans of influencers are going to be wanting to be bombarded with paid um, messaging. Is that something that you would agree with? Or do you have a, a I guess, a, a fear that that might perhaps really degradate that, um, that market? I think that is one of our fears. I think we are aware of the uh, the fact that consumers wouldn't want that to to continue. But we also are mindful that brands don't have unlimited resource, and I think that it's just something that's going to happen unless people increase their budgets and resources in the influencer marketing areas. So. I would hope that in the next few years, then more budgets would be associated with influencer marketing, more resource would be utilizing this particular um, way of way of sort of leveraging um, social influence, and I think that will improve matters equally. I think on the other side, it is getting more complex to know which influencers are paid and which influencers. Uh, would be better to leverage in an organic way. So I think it becomes a bit more of a challenge for marketeers in general. All right. Well, we'll get into that in just a moment. You've got some pretty impressive clients. And um, in a minute, we'll also start talking about one of them as a case study and really flesh out this whole influencer marketing thing for everyone who's still unsure. But first, it's time for a little break. And we're going to have a quick quiz, Tim. So get ready, strap yourself in. It's going to be a mad minute. I am just looking for some one word answers. And your time starts now. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Ooh, I was expecting James Bond. If you had a superpower, what would it be? To fly. Nice. What will be your biggest challenge for the industry in the year ahead? Spam. Mmm. Big challenges for everyone there. Where do you come up with the best ideas? Shower. 
<laughs> That's uh, I would say bed or shower would probably be the two um, highest answers. Nowhere near the office or the desk, which is always interesting to hear. Who is the best marketing influencer right now? Oh, that's a hard one. Tim Hughes at Oracle. Tim Hughes at Oracle. Everybody get on your uh, Twitter and follow Tim Hughes at Oracle. He's got a lot to say. What item or gadget can you just not live without, Tim? My Apple iPhone. (laughs) And what social media platform do you use the most? Twitter. What do you do to relax and unwind from the work life? Play sport. Ooh, and are you a countrysider or a city boy at heart? Countrysider. And... For the 10th question, what do you love about your job? I love working with people. Fantastic. And that is the Mad Minute with Tim. Thanks so much for that. Now, let's get into the case study. The brand we're going to be focusing on here is Coca-Cola, obviously a global conglomerate and a brand that everybody knows all about. What were the challenges and the opportunities with working with this huge brand? I think Coca-Cola is a really interesting case study because they're obviously a massive brand known to everybody, but they do have reputational difficulties, especially when linked to uh, certain conditions like obesity. And I think that they've really struggled with trying to sort of change the perception of being associated with that. They feel that they've got a lot of choice on their products and that they're not really responsible for any of those conditions. But the outside perception by a lot of people is that they are contributing to the obesity crisis. So there's quite a lot of influencers and different influencer groups that are contributing um, to the social debate and really influencing people around the world. And that's a real challenge for them. So, so they contracted us uh, about three years ago and we were working on, on identifying social influences for them. The, the types of influencer groups which were important are journalists, academics, healthcare professionals, mums, and consumers as well. Sometimes celebrities were important, and each of the influencer groups had a very different way of, of talking about Coca-Cola. They needed to be treated... Um, in a personal way. So Coca-Cola has lots of spokespeople who are academics themselves and the ability to use their subject matter experts who are more authentic in their own communities was a really effective way for Coca-Cola to hopefully change perception over time. And um, what was it exactly that you went in and, and proposed there, Tim? So the proposal from us was to identify the different social influencer groups and then provide software to be able to manage those relationships over time. And it's really important when you've got, say, 200 mums, for example, you want to find out maybe the top five mums which are communicating with the other mums, and you want to start with those five first. So to be able to target those five and then move out from there, it's a bit like a, an onion where you, every time you peel it, you get to the sort of next tier of influence. So by starting at the, uh, at the core and then moving out, you can really drive as much effective communications as possible. And is that how you literally executed it? You would start at, um, say, the tip of the iceberg um, and literally reach out to those handful of mums who were perhaps some... Um, you know, uh, degradating the or damaging the the brand. Yeah, we provide software that um, that enables in-house marketing or communications professionals or agencies to be able to um, 
engage themselves. So we just provide the software and the advice and consultancy to be able to implement the program. Um, but we really believe that it's it's much more effective for the brand to have in-house teams deliver those authentic messages to the community and to the influencers. So we recommended certain best practices, but it was really affected by, by Coca-Cola people. Sure. And how did they go about then communicating with those initial, let's say, that handful of mums? Did they email them? Did they uh, reach out on Twitter? What was their um, proactive response and what were the results of that? That was interesting because because the news media were creating sensationalist headlines, which were being shared by some of the mum community and some of the leading academics. So it was actually quite a, a, a tacit approach with some of the influencer groups, but working with the academics to really prove the case that actually some of the stats weren't true and try to provide a balanced opinion. Also, what was interesting is that um, it's also touted that sugar taxation should be brought in and that's actually happened in Denmark, but it didn't actually have a good effect on the economy. So it's all about providing the right data points, engaging the public affairs practitioners and engaging the academic community and then measuring how much their conversations can have a knock-on and cascading effect on the mum community and consumers. Sure. So three years is quite a while to be working with a brand or at least three years ago. Um, Have you got any data or any numbers, um, any results around how they were able to engage the people who were most passionate about these these conversations what were the results the the results of this uh, there aren't in in influencer marketing there's actually a lot of demand for case studies and there's there's not too many brands that will actually give you concrete data in terms of exactly the outcome Uh, Mm -hmm. we we could analyze the conversations to show that some of the dialogue was changing over time the whole semantic debate associated with coca-cola was changing and we could also analyze the engagement of coca-cola spokespeople with the community that they were trying to influence and we could see that there was influence being exerted but it, it it's different uh, to measuring sales because if you if you've got another case study where you're trying to drive site traffic and then on the site you've got some gated content and you can measure the inquiries and then you can measure the conversion rates into sales you can start measuring the ROI of your influencer marketing efforts if you're looking at changes in behavior then you've already got to analyze the unsolicited outcomes which is the social debate and even though you can see an uplift in sentiment of five or six percent for example it's not it's not concrete to see how that actually affects sales because this is a long-term pr relationship yeah and that's a bit harder to measure this is very much like um any content play you know when we talk about a, a content marketing campaign or uh starting your content marketing strategy for any brand you really need to be considering the big a picture the the content itself as a body of work can take a year 18 months before it really starts to snowball and you actually start seeing a tipping point where the brand positioning has shifted and that's i guess very much why content and influencer marketing marketing are inextricably linked um so that's really interesting and i i think it's also worth noting that we've talked about a lot of um you know consumer retail brands fashion brands food brands like coke what about for b2b business what are the opportunities there and how would that work 
I think B2B is fascinating. We actually specialize a lot in B2B. And sometimes B2B practitioners are not confident that social influencers play a big role. Arguably, it plays a much greater role. We we have uh, research from, from Forrester, which is widely available in the marketplace, that two-thirds to 90% of the B2B sales journey is already complete by the time that you're in front of your prospect, mm. which means mm. that the influencing has pretty much all been done before you actually become face-to-face with the, with the sales transaction. So that means that engaging your, your prospects much earlier on in the journey is essential for your success. I love, um, you know, the, the talk about authenticity in this space as well. You know, um, there's a lot of criticism from one side of the argument that influencer marketing can be misleading or ingenuine, particularly when it's paid. And I think authenticity is really the key to um, really navigating any um, criticism of this particular really successful way of reaching out for brands. Um, If it's not authentic, if it's not genuine, people just won't go for it. You can't really fake being an influencer either. And I think that's some research that Analytica, you guys did um, recently that really went to the heart of this matter that um, the increased demand for authentic influencers really was part of what um, is, uh, I guess, trending for 2016. You can't fake being an influencer. Is that something that you can talk about? Yeah, I think by definition of influence, uh, with all of these social media tools like TripAdvisor, with all of the cab companies and everyone rating everyone, um, whether they share their content or whether you actually give them a one to five rating. I think it's all designed to create authentic influencers, to create the best service possible in the industry. And I don't think there's any way of really gaming that. And I think that when when an influencer community gets together and they... Everyone knows who the who the 30 or 40 people that are the key people in the industry. So within content marketing, it would be widely regarded that certain influencers would be in the top 10. And you talked about um, about Joe Polizzi there. He regularly comes up as, as number one in our content marketing influencer list. And I think you need to earn that. And, and there's no way of really getting there without hard work. What else do you think could be a major challenge for your market in 2016? I think when you have global outreach, then being able to segment your strategy by the different markets and to be able to work out who's a global influencer, who's a local market influencer and and match them up to the people that are really sort of engaging with them. I think that's that's a key challenge coming up for, for the larger brands. I think that also mobile is is a massive opportunity but a massive challenge for for a lot of organizations. And is that potentially the way that they're consuming the content? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and I think with the, with the different social channels, um, being able to create content that's relevant to Instagram or Pinterest or YouTube and Twitter, I think many marketeers are, um, are phased by the multitude of channels. Some are really, some are really um, inspired by it and, and love to create lots of different content. You know, I imagine you would be one of those advocates, for example. But I think a lot of, a lot of marketeers are are a bit scared and need to adapt their content more effectively. So I think that's a key challenge and opportunity for 2016. So in terms of the content that you think would be a a great piece of branded content to be considering putting out, if you could put out one piece of content as a brand, what would be your 
chosen content and chosen platform? I, I think video is, is sure. still one of the best forms of content. Yeah. I think it tells the story the best. I think that's why I really like that, that Microsoft video. And I think that um, we've done a lot of analysis on cross-channel influence across the platforms. A, a channel like Twitter is really um, a disseminating channel. It's a signposting channel. So Twitter is used quite often to to really sort of drive site traffic to YouTube or to or to drive people to certain blogs or websites. So I think that video is still one of the best forms of content and the most effective when done well. And where would you say that video is best placed? Which platform is going to get it the the most longevity, the highest number of views, the best? Um, I guess serviceability. What we do is we we link up content with social influences, and really it's a very personal thing to be able to sort of share communications one on one with with influences. Yeah, and actually um, we work with okay. content marketing agencies, and and I think I think it would be really interesting um, to, to to hear from people that are that are expert in that field. Look, one thing that you can always know about the let's say take Twitter v. Um, Instagram. Twitter, as you said, you put something out there, it goes in like a, a leaf in a stream and, it, and it's downstream before you know it. With Instagram, um, you know, that piece of content is essentially pinned there and will accrue more and more views over time. So if you're talking about vision, um, video, visuals, images, obviously, then I think Instagram is a is a fantastic platform for that because over time, like any piece of great content on a blog, it will accumulate more and more views. So as we start to wind down, what parting advice, Tim, would you give uh, to our listeners out there, particularly those in marketing for brands? This year, I think it's there's, um, there's increased focus on employee advocacy. I think that your employees and your social influencers are your third-party sales force. So I think if you create content that your employees share on their social channels, and if you create content and reach out to the right social influencers, then I think that everyone will make your content work far harder. And I think that's one of the key opportunities for 2016. I think that one other is is a lot of people know who the tier one influencers are, maybe the key media influencers and, and some of the people that are the real thought leaders. I think being able to access the tier two influencers who won't expect paid engagement, but the critical mass of which are going to access different audiences, I think that is the key. If you can really scale engagement to tier two influencers, then I think that you've got a wonderful platform for success. Two great pieces of parting advice for our listeners to keep up their sleeve for 2016. Tim Williams, CEO of Onalytica, it's been fantastic having you on the show. All of the notes will be up on the Newsmodo blog at newsmodo.com, so you can jump across there now and uh, pick it apart. There was a lot of information there and certainly a lot to look out for in the year ahead. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim Williams. Thank you, Raquel. Thanks for listening. To find out how quality content can empower your brand, head to newsmodo.com.